Bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial of Book Riot Insiders. Sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription and the first 14 days are free. Wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read, get exclusive podcasts and newsletters, enter to win swag, check out the new release index curated by All the Books host Liberty Hardy, that's me, It'll help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. So come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com insiders to find out more. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 183, and today we are talking about books being released on November 6, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! How's it going? Good! We're recording a little early. Yeah. Well, actually, it's kind of late. Like, I'm not used to recording a podcast I'm discovering when it's dark outside. (laughs) Yeah. Because my office, my desk is right in the corner of, like, by a window. And I'm used to, like, looking out of the trees. And, like, there's a squirrel that lives on the roof next door, which I can see because I'm on the third floor. And, like, watching the squirrel, like, do its stuff. And I'm like, all I see is dark. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah, because we also had the time change That's also true. Also true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, like, we're, like, a day early, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I'll fill that other space with other work tomorrow when we normally record. Yeah. It's all very exciting. I'm going to be running around New York City, so, at meetings. <gasps> It'll be... That's exciting. Um, I mean, it's publisher meetings. They usually give me books, so, yes, it is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. I'm going next next week for the National Book Awards. Yes, that will be super cool. Yeah, we're going to have lots of fun. Mm-hmm. So, would you like to hear about my first pick? Yes, I'm I would. I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. I, so, I loved the cover of this book so much that I was just like, I'm going to read this book. I don't know what it's about. <laughs> and I didn't actually even read the description. I didn't read anything about it. I just picked it up and started reading it. And, oh my goodness, I sopped it up so fast with my brain bread. It is so good. It is called The Best Bad Things by Katrina Carrasco. And I loved it. It's so awesome. It's like queer Deadwood. It's so good. It's about a woman named Alma Rosales. It takes place in 1887 in the Washington Territory. Alma is a former Pinkerton agent. Uh, She had sort of a falling out with Pinkerton. He was very unhappy with how she enjoyed going undercover as a man working for him. And things didn't go well there and they had a falling out. And so now she's adopted this persona that she had when she was working for Pinkerton. She's the dock worker, Jack Camp, and it allows her to move around and be a spy and do all these things dressed as a man. And she's now going to work for her former lover, Delphine Beaumont, who is a very fancy and very threatening presence in the Washington Territory. She runs the opium trade, and she needs to discover who has stolen some opium from her. So she hires Alma, uh, who is very excited. She's been down in, like, San Francisco for several years, missing Delphine, and Delphine finally calls her up to Washington, and so she's happy to see her. Uh, And so you find out, like, what's going on with them. And every few chapters, there's a police transcript, uh, an interview between some police officers and this man, and you know that one of these women is dead, but 
you don't know, like, who it is or who the person is actually, like, talking about who one of the women is, might be. And I can't talk. I'm just so excited. I just keep saying words. Um, <laughs> and there's, like, crossing and double crossing and triple crossing and spies. And it's so good. Like, the story is so electric and the writing is so taut. And as Jack Camp, Alma is free in ways that she can't be when she's as herself, as a woman, and she's very skilled in violence. She loves to fight, and she is very good at it. And it's just, it's so gritty and good, and I just, it's like, it's like if Sarah Waters wrote an episode of Deadwood. It's just, it's fantastic. So I loved it so much. It's called The Best Bad Things, and it's by Katrina Carrasco. I am going to need to read that immediately. I am watching yes! Deadwood for the first time right now, and it, it yeah, is yeah. so good. It's really, really good. Calamity Jane is my favorite. That um, is my favorite show. I know. I Well, I can see why now. Um, <laughs> I actually just watched the Kristen Bell episode the other day, which was super rough. Not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's still good. Um, that is super exciting. I can't wait to read that book. Um, a book I am very excited to tell you about is Kingdom of the Blazing Phoenix by Julie C. Dow. It is the sequel and the concluding book um, to Forest of a Thousand Lanterns, which I don't know if I talked about it on this show or a different show because I talked about it so much, but I loved Forest of a Thousand Lanterns. It is that one was a rewriting of the evil queen sort of fairy tale from the young, like soon to be evil queen's perspective. And it was so well done because like you watched her make these terrible choices and you were like, Oh, she fung like, don't do this. Like, don't do it. But like, you kind of get where she's coming from all the way through. And I thought that was really well done on the author's part. And then this one picks up the plot 15 years later where the daughter, daughter of her former rival, um, whose name is Jade, has been growing up away from court in a monastery um, and uh, is, like, aware that she is the daughter of a deceased empress and that, you know, her stepmother is, like, feared by many and her father. Nobody knows really what's up with him and... Um, but the the empire is kind of in disarray. And then uh, Shifang, who is the stepmother slash empress, sends for her and is like, oh, it's time for you to come to court. Like sends this like really lovely like, oh, I've wanted to meet you for so long and I'm so excited to have you be part of the family. But everybody's kind of warning Jade like, mm, this is not... This is this is not going to be warm fuzzies. Um, and Jade, who's, like, just turning 18, is like, oh, I, like, she's so, like, honest and sweet. It's a really interesting contrast to the first book because Shifang is so sharp and so prickly and so dark. And then Jade is, like, is this very, like, sort of, like, yeah, a little bit Disney princess. Like, oh, really sweet and lovely, but also, like, not a dummy and really... Um, sort of like almost like uncomfortably honest with herself and other people. And you're just like, Ooh, this is like, this is a little rough, um, in a good way, in a good way. Um, and then she has to flee the court and go on this big adventure. And it's just so satisfying. Like it's a really fun, engaging, compelling story. And I loved traveling through the second part of this world and it was really cool the way that Julie Dow brought back some of the characters from the first book in unexpected ways and also wove in sort of the original, you know, 
bits of Snow White, like there's a poisoned apple kind of, and like there's these other things, but it's not at all in the same, like she reinvents it in really interesting ways. And because it is an East Asian sort of retelling, there's just so many new amazing elements. I just, I just love this duology so much. I'm so excited that the second book is out now and that it is as satisfying a second book as I wanted it to be. Like, it's just, I just love the side characters so much. I have a lot of love, big, big love for this book. Um, And if you are looking for a book that will just like sweep you away and sort of take you out of your everyday existence, this series is exactly that. Um, So again, that is The Kingdom of the Blazing Phoenix, which is the sequel to Forest of a Thousand Lanterns by Julie C. Dow. I'm very excited for that one. Yes. I haven't read it yet. I think you will really I think enjoy it. I I think I talked about the first one on the show. I don't think you had joined us right. quite yet. I knew we then. both loved it. I did know yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. So one of today's sponsors is Love Like Sky by Leslie C. Youngblood. I've always thought that was such a cool last name. That is Youngblood. Good. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, this book is, again, it's called Love Like Sky. It's about G-Baby and her younger sister, Peaches. They are still getting used to their quote-unquote blended-up family, and they live with Mama and Frank out in the suburbs, and they haven't seen their real daddy much since he married Millicent. G-Baby is so preoccupied with trying to earn her stepsister Tangie's approval that she isn't there for her own little sister when she needs her the most. Peaches gets sick, really sick. It's up to G-Baby to put things right. She knows Peaches can be strong again if she can only see that their family's love for her is really like the sky. So that is Love Like Sky by Leslie C. Youngblood, and it is out now wherever books are sold. That one sounds like it's going to pull on heartstrings. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that sounds like a lot of feelings, yeah. Yeah, I want to read it, though. Mm-hmm. I like feelings. Yeah, feelings are good. They're fine. <laughs> so speaking of feelings, I loved this book. It's called Blame This on the Boogie by Rina Ayoyoung, and it's a graphic memoir, and it's kind of like my feel-good recommendation. I don't have a lot of feel-good books, <laughs> um, but this one just charmed me to pieces. Uh, it's her memoir about growing up in Pittsburgh. Uh, she was born in 1976, which is also the year that her family moved here from the Philippines. She's Filipino-American. Her mother uh, came over with the family. They wanted... Uh, not. They all came over because her mother was going to be a doctor in Pittsburgh. So uh, she has two older sisters and an older brother, and all their names start with R. She is named after Miss Israel 1976. They all have, like, these amazing uh, names. And she ha- Rena herself has this wild love for music and dance musicals when she's a child. Like, they are the things that make her happy. She likes to sing and perform, and sometimes with her sisters and brothers, they do, like, little performances in the house, and they're always dancing around and listening to music. Uh, The title of the book, Blame This on the Boogie, is a take on the song Blame It on the Boogie, which I highly recommend going back and watching the Jackson 5 video for Blame It on the Boogie. They're actually doing a cover, but... It's, it's really old and just amazing, uh, which is what I did this morning after I finished reading this book. But, so, like, listening to music and her love of musicals and watching Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly and Ginger Rogers, they sort of get her through the trials and tribulations that she experiences in school. She is bullied and she doesn't have a lot of friends, so she gets by pretending like her life is a musical. 
And then it, there's, a, like, a whole chapter about that, like, when she's young. And then there's a chapter about, like, when she's older, she has a child of her own, and she suffers from postpartum depression, and she's just worried all the time about everything that's going on with her son, where, like, you see, he's actually, like, he's a really great kid. He's really well-adjusted. He's really happy. Like, every time he goes to say something to her, she thinks he's going to say, like, something terrible has happened or, you know, I'm being bullied or something, and he's always just, like... This girl spilled paint on her pants at school. It was so sad. And she's just like, oh, okay. And she's so stressed out about him all the time. And he's just, like, the greatest little kid. And she loves showing him, like, musicals and things that she enjoyed when she was young. And there's a whole sec... This part, I was not... I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed this. There's a whole long section about her obsession with dancing with the stars. <laughs> Specifically, the dance competition with Kim Johnson and Heinz Ward, who is a Pittsburgh Steelers player, uh, and how she started, like, a whole Facebook group for, like, shipping them, and just... It's, wow. I, it's so funny, and, like, her, like, huge fandom for them. It's the drawings are wonderful. She reminds me a lot of um, Myra Coleman, mm. and I just found this so charming. And I, I don't know. I got the impression from reading the copy that this was going to be a lot more serious than I found it to be. Mm. I actually found it like kind of lighthearted in most parts, and just so enjoyable. I loved it. So again, it is called "Blame It on the Boogie." No, blame this on the boogie. The song is "Blame It on the Boogie" by Rena Ayungyang. That, I would think with a title like that, it would be a little on the lighthearted side, one would hope. Um, That's awesome. I definitely want to read that. Um, I also, I picked this book entirely on the cover, uh, like you were talking about earlier. It's An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helene Turston, translated by Marlene Dellergy. Um, And it is like a cross-stitch cover um, where the cross-stitches are spelling out like the title and there's a little skull and crossbones and some like hearts and flowers. And it's just so... I saw this in the catalog and I was like, "Um, clearly I'm calling dibs on this one. And it is, as you might imagine, um, about an elderly lady. She's an 88-year-old Swedish woman named Maud who lives all by herself in this amazing apartment in this building. Um, Through, like, a quirk of a will, she's allowed to live rent-free in this apartment until she dies. Um, And the rest of the apartment, like, you know, is, like, she's got all these different neighbors and they all have to pay a lot of rent. And she's just, like, quite happy in her little apartment that she's been in forever um, that she grew up in. And, uh, you know, she likes to, like, read about, you know, the world in books. And she's really comfortable with the Internet and, like, likes to poke around on the Internet. Um, And is just like a crotchety little old lady is what you think. And then it's a series of stories. um, And and then you find out that she's, like down for a little murder like she there's this pesky neighbor who moves in and like how will she solve this problem like i don't want to spoil anything but yeah Maud is a murderous little old lady it's kind of like if you were to take like dexter but turn him into like a tiny swedish octogenarian like a little bit like that um 
And it's really delightful. I'm about halfway through and um, I'm just enjoying it so much. It's just, it's, it's like perfect for if you just want something to like pick up and read a little bit and put down and you like mysteries and you like grouchy old ladies. All of these are things that I like personally. Um, but yeah, you can just like pick it up, read a story, put it down, like give a little chuckle. It's very dark humor. It's really sort of entertaining and like how... Um, how like matter of fact she is about like, Hmm, I wonder what would happen if I do this. You're just like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're a terrible little old lady. And I kind of love reading about you. So, uh, yeah, really another, like just sort of weirdly dark, charming, bizarre escapist read for you, um, in translation. So if you are looking to read more genre in translation in particular, like this is a Swedish crime series in translation about a murderous old lady. So that's an elder lady is up to no good by helene turston uh translated by marlene delargy i don't know if i said that right it is also on my tbr pile around here somewhere (laughs) it's really fun liberty it's super fun i've read i read like the first book in helene turston's first series or series from like several years ago yeah uh it was like a little soho crime book but i can't remember what it was called um, but she's great. I've never read her before. This is my first. So speaking of dark and charming, <laughs> my next pick is a biography. I'm heavy on the nonfiction today. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is right in my wheelhouse because I love him so much. It is Born to be Posthumous, The Eccentric Life and Mysterious Genius of Edward Gorey by Mark Derry. Uh, Edward Gorey is an amazing illustrator. He was an amazing illustrator and writer. He was very macabre, very funny. Uh, He was also one of the most mysterious figures of the 20th century. You've probably seen, if you are not familiar with Edward Gorey, there are a lot of Edward Gorey fans out there now, Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to the internet and Newbury Comics and Hot Topic. Um, But (laughs) you've probably seen his work. Anyway, he did a ton of cover design throughout the 20th century. Uh, He wrote his own books. If you went to college, somebody had the Gashley Crumb Tiny's poster on their wall. A is for Amy, who fell down the stairs. B Mm. is for Basil, assaulted by bears. Um, He did the mystery credits on PBS, like the black and white illustration, the comics for that, the mystery show that opened it every week. Uh, He did the sets for Dracula on Broadway. Huge influence on a lot of artists. Tim Burton credits him as an influence. Neil Gaiman. And he has this sort of, like, cult-like status. But his life was very unknown. He was very unknowable. There wasn't much... He didn't talk about himself very often. Um, He wasn't really known to the world until the 1950s. Edward Wilson mentioned him in The New Yorker and said, you know, he's this guy doing this great stuff. And people were like, who? Um, Plus, there was also this sort of stigma in the 20th century, if not still today, where illustrators are thought of as, like, second to writers. Like, oh, they're just, you know, drawing pictures and doing this stuff. And so he didn't get the respect that writers did uh, for creating words, even though he's just so, so incredibly talented. Like I said, he's he's quite the enigma. Um, he was assumed to be gay, but he never confirmed it one way or the other. And, and apparently people just felt okay just asking him this because it's cited several times where interviewers, interviewers would ask him and he wouldn't answer. He would just say, you know, I am a person before anything else. Wow. Um, and I was just like, people will just ask him that? Yeah, like, that's... Really? It's kind of rude. Not cool. Um, 
I, I myself did not know until a few years ago. I just assumed, and a lot of people assume because of his Victorian Gothic sort of style of illustration, that he was British, but he was actually from Chicago. He was born in Chicago in, like, 1925. Um, he was a huge Anglophile, yet he never traveled to England, uh, which is interesting. Um, he also, he just did these wildly intricate pen and ink drawings that were often uh, thought to be etchings because they were so detailed in, the, in his style. And they were almost always about ghastly happenings and murders and suicides and accidents. But the argument is made that his work is actually about life. He was a Taoist, and he would say, you know, the, the theory is that, like, if you call something beautiful, you're calling something else ugly. And if you call something good, you're calling something else evil. And he didn't like labels at all. And it's just, this was so delightful to read because I've been a huge fan of his since I was a little kid. And uh, he died in 2000. Uh, suddenly, he had a heart attack. Um, but at the time that he passed away, I, I thought of you, Jen, because he was a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer <gasps> fan. Amazing. He, he was, like, really into it. And he, he was living uh, in Cape Cod. He has a house in Cape Cod that I have always wanted to go see. You, you can go visit it. All of his cats, much like the Hemingway house, his cats, the descendants of his cats, live in this house. And you can go and visit them. Um, and Field trip. Yeah. So it, this is just a really interesting book. Uh, Derry, the author, he actually worked in the early 80s for um, Edward Gorey's publisher uh, and got to know him a little bit. And so this is, you know, about everything to do, as much as he could find about him, about, you know, his life in Chicago and his family and his education and his influences and where he belongs in the queer literary canon. And it's just, it's so cool. And much like Edward Gorey. So I loved it. And again, it is called Born to be Posthumous, The Eccentric Life and Mysterious Genius of Edward Gorey by Mark Derry. That sounds so fun. I have always yeah. loved Gorey's illustrations and I don't know anything about him. I am shocked to find out that he is from <laughs> Chicago. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't. I just stumbled on that myself, like on Wikipedia or something. I just assumed he was from England. Yeah. I think because, I think mostly, I thought it because he did the mystery credits. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just assumed, oh, well, that's PBS and the BBC and whatever. Right, right, right. So. Who knows? Anyway, that's pretty cool. Um, do you know what's not dark and scary? <laughs> is finding a bra if you work with one of our sponsors, Third Love. Oh. How do you like that? Does your shoulder hurt from that reach? <laughs> well, thank you again to Third Love for being a great sponsor of all the books. Um, it uses millions of real women's measurements to design its bras with breast size and shape in mind for an impeccable fit and incredible feel. They now have cups from A through H and bands up to 48, so they offer double the number of sizes that most uh, other brands offer. And you can check out the new Cotton Collection, which was created as a result of customer requests for especially soft and breathable bras and underwear that you will want to wear every day. Um, and if you don't love it, you can... Returns and exchanges are free and easy. I have a couple of their bras, and they have some new designs that I'm definitely eyeballing. I can definitely vouch for the ones that I have already. They're really comfortable um, and they have, like, I'm not particularly nice to my bras and 
they have lasted really well. So I am a fan. Um, so Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone. And right now they're offering listeners 15% off of your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash books to find your per- perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. So that's thirdlove.com slash books for 15% off today. And thank you for sponsoring the show. I was just so proud of myself. I finally had a segue. <laughs> <laughs> I never have a good one. Oh, oh they I, are great bras. Yes, I love I love mine. Mm-hmm. But um, I did learn that I I like to wash mine in the sink by hand. Ah. But I have to do it one at a time because one time I put them all in at the same time and it was like a rat king. Oh, like, no. <laughs> it was like, I could not get them apart. That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, I'm definitely probably not supposed to say this on the air, but I totally put mine in the washing machine in a, like a delicate bag, but like, yeah, I put them in the washer and I, I like air dry them at least. I don't know. I'm lazy. Yeah, but that's I, what you're supposed to do, I'm right? I'm lazy. I no, mean... you're supposed to hand wash for sure. Oh. Um, oh. But you know, I'm a lazy girl. What can I say? <laughs> All right. So let's see. My next pick is nonfiction. I am halfway through it. It is so interesting and I'm loving it so much. It is Beyonce in Formation, Remixing Black Feminism by Omisike Tinsley. And this is part of my continuing effort to read more contemporary feminist theory, particularly intersectional feminist theory and I saw the cover of this which has like an illustration of Beyonce on it um from Formation and it's I was like well clearly clearly I need to read this I'm a fan of you know Beyonce's music and that album in particular is really interesting and this sort of blend of feminist theory and pop culture is like so interesting to me and I love reading about it um and Tinsley is really great because she has decided that she's gonna make this like part memoir part music you know like part inspired by Beyonce's work and then part out of her work as an associate professor of African and African diaspora studies and then so you've got all of these different threads going through it and she talks about how hard it was to put together in the introduction and how like she had to push herself to research different kinds of things um, like music history which was not her specialty and then also about putting her like chunks of herself in you know she's a queer woman and she's married and has a young daughter and like how all of that informs her experience of being a Beyonce super fan of being a feminist of being a black femme uh like black femme queer woman um and how all of this fits together and I think it's so interesting it's so engaging it's reading really beautifully it's not at all like you know sometimes with gender theory in particular can feel really academic and you can get a little bogged down but she's got a really approachable style that I find very nice because I am not an academic um and of course it has made me want to like have the album on in the background which is definitely not a bad thing I'm always delighted to re-listen to these songs and you know getting her take on them plus the research that she's done about you know the origins of the blues and like the reclaiming of the blues by artists like Beyonce um plus you know how this fits into the LGBTQ community and how the politics of that inform her life and the lives of her students and you know what it means to be black and also a femme like there's just there's just so much going on and she's laying it all out really accessibly 
And I think this is, you know, it's from a university um, press. And I think a lot of times these books get overlooked by readers because it's, you know, it seems like it's going to be really academic or, you know, you're not like, they don't have any marketing usually. You know, university presses often don't have big distribution. They don't have money to take out ads. Um, And so I don't see a lot of them, you know, making the rounds. But if you like Roxanne Gay, if you like um, Jill Lepore's cultural histories, like she did a cultural history of Wonder Woman that was super interesting. Um, If you read Brittany Cooper's, uh, um, oh gosh. Eloquent Rage. Yes, Eloquent Rage, which (laughs) I raved about a lot on many podcasts, um, probably I think including this one. She actually references Cooper's work in this book. So if if that is also your wheelhouse and or you are a Beyonce fan, I think this is must read stuff. It's so interesting. It's so well written. It's so engaging. It's really powerful. And I'm just so excited to have found it. So again, that's Beyonce in Formation, Remixing Black Feminism by Omisike Natasha Tinsley. Right on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my last pick is actually a biography. Again, two biographies and a memoir today. Um, I I, uh, just started it, actually. I'm ashamed to say that I'm having a little problem with the number of books in my office (laughs) these days. And I try to read as much as I can for each day. And this one fell down behind some stacks. And I found it yesterday and I was like, oh, I wanted to read that for coverage. So I just started it this afternoon. It's really good, though. It's called In Extremis, The Life and Death of the War Correspondent Marie Colvin by Lindsay Hilsom. Uh, Marie Colvin was a respected war, like probably the most respected war reporter of her generation. She was killed in Syria in 2012 at the age of 56. Uh, She might sound familiar to you if you aren't just familiar with her work. Uh, There is a movie that came out, I think, this week, or it's coming out next week about her life. It kind of corresponds, the release corresponds with the movie. Um, She was from Long Island. She studied journalism at Yale. Her hero was Martha Gellhorn, who herself was, like, one of the greatest war correspondents of the 20th century. Um, And Colvin started out working for the Sunday Times of London, and she was, by all accounts, fearless and just passionate about what she did. She always went towards danger. She lost her eye during the Sri Lankan Civil War, but she refused to quit despite having PTSD. And Hilsom has pieced this book together from exclusive access to Colvin's diaries, it's it was also long listed for the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence recently. It's really good so far. I'm really fascinated by her life and her work. So again, that is called In Extremist: The Life and Death of the War Correspondent Marie Colvin by Lindsay Hilsom. Also, I when I was writing my notes for this, I was like, I don't know if I should talk about the fact that she was killed, and then I was like, Oh, it's called the life and death. Oh, <laughs> spoilers, like, <okay>. liberty. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, that's a rough like, one. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. I should try to find that movie. I'm a huge fan of Martha Gellhorns, and I haven't oh, heard of this woman. And... I just saw an ad for uh, the movie yesterday, like on Instagram or something. It's just coming out. Mm. It's it's the what's her name from Gone Girl, Rosamund. Rosamund Pike? Pike? Yeah. Yes. That's it. Ooh. So. Interesting. Interesting. Um, very cool. I My last pick is a short story collection that is going to haunt me. 
I think, for a while. <laughs> it is so strange and dark and twisty and good. It's The Lonesome Bodybuilder by Yukiko Matoya. It is translated by Asa Yoneda. And it is, I said it was weird, it's real weird. Um, <laughs> I, like, I'm trying to think of how to describe it, and it's really hard because each story is so different. Um, it reminds me, actually, a lot in terms of just the general feel, although not the specifics, of uh, A Mary Spinster by um, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. Because that book also, like, you're like, oh, this is so dark. Oh, my gosh, it's so funny. Should I be laughing? Oh, now I'm grossed out. Like, those are the feelings that I have while reading the stories in The Lonesome Bodybuilder. But Motoya is not, like, necessarily retelling fables in the way that Mary Spencer was. Like, this one instead is, like, very, like, sort of potentially mundane, everyday things that she then makes super surreal. So, for example, the the title story is about a housewife who takes up bodybuilding and, like, you know, like gets really bulked up and, you know, is really pleased with herself and her husband like doesn't seem to notice, um, even though she's completely rearranged her body. And it's like about like her experience of like, like how do people at work react to her now or like, or not at work, but like around town. And like, it, it's just really strange and, and, and interesting. And, um, and, and, and sort of these inexplicable things happen. Like there's another one that's about sort of a marriage that is sort of hitting this plateau point. And the woman notices that her, her husband's features are like moving around his face. Like his face <laughs> is like rearranging itself. There's another one that is a hundred percent about um, the fetishization and objectification of women that's like really bizarre and like really powerful and I don't even want to say anything about it because I think it just is so much better if you go into it not knowing what's going on and the perspective switches in this story are crazy too because sometimes like you're in this you know woman's head looking at whatever she's looking at and then other times you're in a guy's head looking at whatever he's looking at and often you are not necessarily in the quote unquote I mean there's not really good guys and bad guys but like you're not necessarily in the protagonist's head all the time and so like getting the inside voices of some of these people who you like come to realize you're like oh gross I don't want to be in your head for this but like that's where you are um and yeah it's really surreal it's really interesting it's really strange it's it's very I think yeah Ortberg or like Murakami like just un inexplicable things happening and being treated as normal and then making you feel some kind of way about it is what this book does really, really well. Um, I read them all. They just got better and better, quite frankly. Like, the the opening story is amazing. But there were some towards the end in particular. And I wanted to... Is it okay if I read a little bit from one of these? Because this this section just, like, killed me. It's just a couple of lines. Um, yeah. Okay, so there's this one story that is basically about, like... What happens if you can't, like, find a boyfriend? And the suggestion... Oh, no. It's an advice columnist. That's what it is. It's this aging advice columnist who is writing basically her last ever advice column. And one of the people has written in to say, like, I can't find a boyfriend. 
And and she's just going off the rails in her responses to these. So sh- her suggestion is that you skip having a human boyfriend and your boyfriend should be the saddle of a bicycle. Um, and this is now I'm going to quote a minute from this. Best of all, a saddle can't speak. You lament that you can't find the right person because you have too many expectations of men who speak and end up seeing too many of their failings. But if your partner is a bicycle saddle, there's just one thing you need from them to gently and lovingly support your ass. Like it's so funny and it's so dark and the, the the this one just like goes on to like imagine what life must be like if your boyfriend is a bicycle saddle. It's so it's so quirky and strange. Um and I really did love it, although some of these definitely are gonna like give me like the heebie jeebies. Um there's some body horror in there. Not a ton, but there is definitely some. So again, that's the Lonesome Bodybuilder stories by Yukiko Motoya, uh translated by Asa Yoneda. I wonder if it's a take on that quote, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Oh, you know, I should have put that together, but I wonder. It's a good, it doesn't get directly referenced, but it certainly could be. It's very funny. (laughs) It's really funny. It's so dark and weird. I loved it. So what are you going to read next? Oh, Lord. My, like, to-read pile is overflowing right now. I'm going to try to prioritize one book. I'm reading, like, 16 things right now, but I really want to read The Monster, Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. It's the sequel mm-hmm. to The Traitor, Baru Cormorant, which I read somewhat recently and which, like, ripped my heart out and then stomped all over it and then, like, shoved <laughs> it back into my chest. It was just like, oh, it's so rough, um, but really well done. And so I really need to find out what's happening next. What about you? I, my friend went to London last week and she said, hey, I'm in London. Are there any books here that you really, really want? And so she brought me back Early Riser, the new Jasper Ford. Oh, hey, And hey. it's amazing. First of all, it's so beautiful. And the title page is in full color. It's a full color illustration of the cover. And I'm just so excited. He, it's not a Thursday Next novel. Mm. This is... I don't know if it's going to be a series, but I know it's it's not part of any other story that he has done. It comes out here in the States in February, so not too, too far away. Not like the other day I was talking about something in May. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not too bad. So I'm excited. That's awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm very jealous. But I, I don't know. It, I know a lot of people love the Thursday Next series, and I'm one of them. And I just, I don't like reading any of his books without... The dodo, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) so I was like, oh, you can talk some more, but no, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) That is all for today. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to get 14 days free. Thank you to Love Like Sky by Leslie C. Youngblood. It's out now wherever books are sold. And you can visit thirdlove.com slash books for 15% off today. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. I am Miss Liberty on Twitter. Jen is on Tumblr. Jen IRL. Jen is with two N's. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today and make dodo sounds, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, 
Happy, Happy reading. reading! Yay! Yay!